Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hey, hey, mama. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. Today on the podcast, I take a slightly different view to what we often talk about. I often talk about things from the working mum perspective. But today, I actually chat with Heretta McMullen and we talk about it from the employer perspective, about what employers can do to support working mums. A little bit about Heretta. She is the founder of Third Space People, a leadership mentor and employee experience strategist, shaking up the way we think and feel about HR. She's an award-winning HR professional who helps businesses drive commercial success by developing confident leaders and reimagining the employee experience. I really enjoyed our chat here. And when we talk about the employee experience, we're also talking about the experience of women, women returning from parental leave, which, as you know, is something that I'm very passionate about because I've also created the Return with Confidence program. Today's episode is brought to you by the Working Mama Village, a membership to help you thrive in the journey of having a career and also being a mum. We've got on-demand masterclasses, a great community, and certainly provides you with training and development I'm sure your employer doesn't offer. So join today, use the code VILLAGE10, and you can also get 10% off your membership. Well, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Heretta. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm having a really good day. Now, for those that don't know you, can you, how would you best describe yourself and what's been your career journey to date? Mm. So I'm an ex-HR manager and I've now started my own business in leadership mentoring and employee experience strategy. And my career has been fairly standard, if I'm going to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I went to uni, I studied business management. I had actually wanted to run and own my own luxury boutique hotel. Uh, But after working in the industry, I thought, "Mm, I don't know if this is for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I finished uni thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? I don't want to go back to uni. I have had enough of that. So I worked in hotels and that was actually where I landed my first job in HR. I took part of a career development program and that gave me the opportunity to step into the HR door, which I loved. And I spent the first few years of my careers opening a hotel, which was an introduction by fire. Yes, I can imagine. (laughs) And really earning my stripes. And then uh, after three or so years, I moved into the tech industry. uh, And that's where I sort of found my home. So I helped that business scale from 100 employees up to about 250. And throughout that time, helped to set up the HR function, all the employee experience journeys, Uh, And then by the time I left, which was in April 2021, I had uh, led a global team, managed through an acquisition and, of course, the pandemic. Uh, And and it was on parental leave that I really decided to jump 
head first into third space (laughs) you may have figured out at wanting to run and own my own luxury boutique hotel doing my own thing had kind of been on my mind for a while so even though I had a really fantastic corporate career I know that goes against the trend and people generally start their businesses because they hated the corporate world I actually had a great time Uh, I just wanted to do my own thing and help more people in business with the knowledge that I have oh fantastic and I can't get wait to get into today's chat because Mm. it's a slightly different I guess focus than what we usually do on the working mama podcast taking it um only just from an employee perspective we're also looking at it from an employer perspective so today we're talking all about how we can actually support more parents and particularly women from an organization perspective. So I'm really looking forward to it. So you've just spoken about the pandemic um, and about how um, from a HR perspective, you help manage that through. When I was researching for this podcast, I noticed that McKinsey, um, which is the big consulting company, put out a report last year that nearly 12 million women left their job during the early stages of the pandemic. And I know due to it was due to homeschooling, caregiving arrangements, and usually that homeschooling fell onto, unfortunately, the woman and the mother. And a lot of those women haven't necessarily returned back into the workforce. So what can organisations do to, A, acknowledge the responsibility and essentially that double shift of, of parents? And also what can they do to make it, you know, more attractive um, for working mothers because we know that there's more working mothers, more women out there and more people working in society. It's actually going to have significant economic impacts. So, mm-hmm. yes, that's a very, I know, loaded question <laughs> to kick this off. No, I love it because the employer has such a role to play and if this is a battle only undertaken by employees, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill. You really need the employer to come to the party because they are the ones who can facilitate some really incredible change. So I love this. I love this question. Uh, You said it in your question and it really comes down to valuing the issue and that's probably a whole separate conversation but once you understand how it's going to benefit the organization then it's about understanding the specific challenges and so I've only become a mum in the past two years and prior to that I thought I understood (laughs) (laughs) which uh, I was severely uh, incorrect on But what I knew came from conversations. So, of course, when someone tells the HR department that they're pregnant, often questions will come up. And so you learn what matters to them and you learn what challenges they're having. Uh, Same applies for when you speak to their managers as well. So, some of the things that pop up around how do organizations you know lighten the load for mothers it's about understanding the pain points and then wanting to help so a great example through the pandemic and I'm sure many people did this so I don't think it's rocket science but when we couldn't send kids to school 
obviously parents were having a hard time of it. And so we encouraged them to use their sick leave. A lot of organizations have the perception that sick leave is just for physical illness. Yeah. But of course, it's there for when you're, you have your mental health days and when you need to care for your children. And people had accumulated quite a lot of sick leave. So we encourage them to use that rather than hiding behind that in terms of if we would only approve it if someone asked. So rather than taking that approach, we said, go and use it when you need it. And then of course, uh, speaking to the organization as a whole in terms of setting expectations around communication capacity of our working parents and working to educate the company as a whole on the fact that, yes, things might be a little late. We might need to review our turnaround times. Uh, they might respond at really weird times of the day. To not only help lighten the load for the individuals, but also their understanding from non-parents and how they work with working parents too, because that is a huge stress. Yeah. And I know that I, um, in my corporate role, I have someone say, but it's not just the parents that have also then got stresses and challenges. And someone said that I, like he may play soccer and so he wants to leave and, and things like that. So I guess as you're saying as well, it's, it's also understanding that it's that open communication that I mm -hmm. guess it's that there's a lot of blurred lines now between work and home, but I guess it's also then that integration. So Absolutely. yeah, you, I, I remember working with someone and I had no idea that she had a child just because yeah. of the way that she carried herself and things. Meanwhile, she's got a five-year-old daughter at home and some, but she never spoke of her. And it's part of that, you know, a little bit of that, or I think she wanted to create where now I think on this, you know, probably 10 years later, we're all talking about our kids and being a lot more open about it, which I think is a really good thing. It's a really powerful thing, I think. Um, it, it's always been a challenge, right? It's always been hard to be a working parent. And I think it's great now that we're talking about it so that we can make some sustainable, impactful change. And I dare say um, that individual 10 years ago must have been finding it really difficult and didn't have anyone to talk to. So mm. you know, I really feel for that person. Yeah, and certainly as well, what impact do you see that um, flexible work and working from home is having on, on working mothers? And I know also there's definitely, and I don't mean to be derogatory here, but the classic old white male um, <laughs> that we see in some of our leadership positions and management positions yes. that aren't necessarily supportive of that. Um, and you're seeing organisations have higher turnover that don't have those supportive policies um, versus the organisations that are. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, yes, I have seen an impact on, on working mums in particular. And a huge part of that comes down to a lack of understanding, of course. Um, I actually wrote an article for Women's Agenda a few months ago on is working from home impacting your career? And I talked about uh, working mums, anyone who's new to an organisation, anyone who's perhaps an introvert, uh, basically there is a disadvantage because you're not 
on the radar mm-hmm. as much. So my recommendation is to intentionally cultivate your brand and stay on top of someone's radar and that can be as simple as leading the fortnightly meeting or putting your hand up to present at this thing or talking to your key stakeholders and reminding them that you are there and that you care because a lot of the conversations that may happen for example in the office and you're working from home that day people forget to tell you because that's normal and so it's about setting those expectations and requests with your stakeholders and then looking to reinforce those so that it becomes second nature yeah and it's something that I think has particularly as women we don't often do we're Mm. scared of that tall poppy of look at me and putting our hands up so it actually requires us to go a little bit of our out of our comfort zone it does it does and no denying it's it's challenging but when you start off small and you grow in confidence as you do that, then it becomes easier and easier. And so you said that you've done quite a bit of work in terms of the employee experience. Mm. What can and what do you believe organisations can do to have a positive employee experience for working parents? You know, I guess that through that journey from, as you said earlier, about telling their manager that they're they're pregnant because there can also be a lot of uh, fear around that mm-hmm. because unfortunately in this day and age people are still made redundant when they're on maternity leave or even um, about to go. I know a good friend of mine's sister was exactly a couple of months ago exactly the same thing happened. Um, but also then that return to work and even a few years down the track, um, I know that I even had someone ask me, "Oh, can you travel now that you've got kids?" I was like, "Yeah, why not?" But it's just people assume the the assumption yeah. sometimes of women it's um can be Wild. a little bit deb- deb- a little bit debilitating absolutely look when we talk about employee experience we're really just talking about how does it feel for that person to find out that they're pregnant in the context of where they work do they have easy access to the information that they need more often than not in a parental leave policy so that you know, the week they find out they're pregnant, they can find out for themselves what they need to do and basically have a realistic set of expectations around that. So we're really talking about from before they even get pregnant and share the news, what's the narrative that you're setting around what it means to be a parent at your company? And that's the ease of access to the parental leave policy, the language that you use in it, how you train your managers and leadership team to talk about it, Uh, the more cultural aspects like uh, one thing that we did was, uh, if they were okay with it, of course, shared a picture and a blurb from the parent on the intranet when the baby was born. And that was like some of the (laughs) most high-performing content on the intranet. And what it did over time was build up this safe space and understanding that you are supported if you start your family or expand your family here. And so that's one part of it. And I think as you move through, when someone tells the HR team or the CEO or whoever they need to tell that they're pregnant, then looking at the moments that matter and building experiences around that. So 
someone can come and tell you and then that'd be that great but you have an opportunity to really celebrate that so a really simple low slash no cost thing to do is create a pretty branded template email that you can send to uh, whoever has told you that they're pregnant and need to leave and add in your ABN for that person to use when they apply for government paid parental leave because that's not surprisingly easy (laughs) to access for people (laughs) so you're making their life easier there Uh, you maybe attach the parental leave policy again you add some forms if they need to fill out any forms or like we created a really cool graphic just to simplify the process of what they need to do and then you may also add some links for some great resources online and you're essentially just helping to make the experience easier for them which ultimately is also going to make it easier for you because they're going to get all their most of their questions answered in that email versus coming back to you 10 times so looking at those moments that matter Uh, another thing actually it does make life easier it was more of a hallmark moment was when the baby was born Uh, we always kept quite a close dialogue and perhaps because it was the culture everyone always messaged us when the baby was born and we would send a little surprise and delight gift in the form of a branded onesie and a little card and people loved it and they would then take photos of their baby in the onesie and send Uh it through (laughs) it's just those small things that help make life easier but also enjoyable and they feel like they're supported, heard, and seen. And that goes a long way, not just as an employee, but as a human. And I think it's so true. It's what you said. It's about them wanting to be seen and heard because it can be quite isolating. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've had my baby and then I don't hear from an you know, a manager or an employer for, you know, six, 12 months and you come back and it's a new organization. You're like, absolutely. Like it's You've, so just much up, you've just brought up another thing. I mean, as a, especially as a first-time mum, I think. Well, I don't know. I'm not a second-time mum, so I'm only speaking from my experience. But it was like my whole world turned 180 and it was completely transformative. There was so much going on. So having the light support of an employer is phenomenal and you know those days you kind of hormones everywhere and I'll yeah. get this gift <laughs> but it's it's that as well so you know you go away for let's just say a year which most people do and how do you continue to touch base throughout that year you don't need to be there all the time but as a manager touching base every now and again if there's some important company news that has popped up sending that through to your personal email like in a year a lot can happen Um, a business can be acquired I mean that's kind of news that a person on leave should know so it's about also the manager understanding that when someone is on parental leave they haven't disappeared they're still employed um, and making a concerted effort to continue to think about them and involve them in the conversation. Yeah. And I think it's also that I don't know the exact statistics, but if people that aren't feeling supported with their employer, 
they unfortunately do a look for another job or they fall out of the workforce which for sometimes for some people they may have worked there for three five ten years prior and so you've just invested in all this time and then they've left and then sometimes you go oh it's another working mom that's left and you're going well maybe reflect on what your actions have been so why they are leaving is it because they're not feeling supported they haven't had the communication as what you said or they don't have the flexible work working from home so there's very different there's a lot of different parameters but their experience is what you said it's about wanting to be seen and be heard and and supported one thing that I'll always be proud of and I don't think I fully comprehended the impact until I became a mum was that we had a 100% return to work rate and I was the first person (laughs) to not return (laughs) <laughs> HR manager. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry I'm doing this to your stats. <laughs> but so what do you think made for a 100% return rate except for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I discount myself because I didn't leave on bad terms. Uh, honestly, all of the above. We treated the whole parent experience, particularly this particular parental leave experience, we put a lot of thought and intention into it and care. And when you do that for anything, you're going to reap the rewards. So we looked at the the culture that we were setting up and the stories we were telling around parental leave. We made the, you know, the near on, well, six months by the time someone tells you, we had check-in points and uh, we had processes in place that would remind us to reach out to that person a month before they left, just confirming their last day, any last information, questions, da-da-da-da-da. We made a big deal of them when they left and when they had a baby, we'd check in whilst they were on leave and then usually two months before they returned or due to return to work, we'd reach out again and kickstart that conversation and then the return to work process, we treated like they were a new employee. So we had like a return to work onboarding. Oh, that is music to my ears. (laughs) And that made everyone's lives so much easier. And the thing is, I know this sounds quite complicated. It wasn't. And it did not cost us much money at all beyond the cost of a onesie and maybe a cake yeah (laughs) so it really set the scene for our parents to feel like they were welcome back and that it was achievable to return to work because everyone returned to work part-time as well I don't think anyone returned full-time and so we enabled that return to work and made it as easy as possible for them but also reasonable for the business that's so good to hear. It was actually interesting. I ran a poll on LinkedIn, sorry, not LinkedIn, um, Instagram the other day about how they returned. Did they return back into the same hours or was it less? And overwhelmingly, it was actually less hours. I think it was a very yeah. small percentage and it was about 5% that actually returned back into the same hours being full-time. Mm. But it's, it's so, as you said, it's it's so important for that re-onboarding because when you think about it, you know, the cost of a onesie and a cake, maybe $100, $150 at most, yeah. is a lot less considered the rehiring costs of, you know, oh, one and yeah. a half, 
to two times that person's salary, which is a lot of money when people go, oh, this is a lot. And you're like, well, if that person's not doing that role, Mm. there's um, a significant cost to actually rehire and retrain that person. So they're back up to that speed of of what that person Mm. was. So if you're thinking of, do I, should I re-onboard them? Heck yes. Yes. (laughs) Heck yes, you should. And that's the thing. So many employers perhaps because they don't know better, um, get stuck in the tunnel of the individual costs of doing these types of things. But perhaps what they fail to focus on is the return. Mm. And also the she'll be right. Oh, you were doing this role. You'd be able to step back into it. And you're like, eh. (laughs) (laughs) And look, I mean, the other thing, another huge part of, the story is education for our managers, our leadership team, and our non-parents. And we as an HR team help to support that, but also how to support our returning parents to have those conversations around, look, I'm going to need to leave early today. Or if my phone goes off in the meeting and it's this person, I'm going to have to take it. So to have some of those expectations setting conversations that a lot of people are scared to do we helped them do that Mm. and I think also seeing leaders drive it from the top so um, in my corporate world I work for um, our CEO she's got two teenage kids and she's a CEO and I've seen her leave the office 2 33 o'clock she wants to be home for when her son gets home I my heart melts um, and I absolutely (laughs) love it because she's demonstrating that leadership um, and also, you know, right, I'm going to be there. She doesn't openly tell everyone this is what, but everyone knows, okay, right, she's going home yeah. to be there for it. And I'm like, this is amazing. But it's also, again, driving that culture from the top. Yeah. Uh, and and so being able to have those those family-friendly workplaces. And is it just organisations that are like, you know, say, as you said, you grew yours to 250 people, but small organisations, I assume, can also still do the same onboarding and and things like that as well. This isn't dependent on how big or small your organization is, is it? No, absolutely not. And like anything, there's a little upfront time investment on creating, for example, that templated email. But once you've done it, it's done. All you do is put in a new name. (laughs) And so these are really achievable, low-cost things that make a huge difference. And just because your people work in a company that has 10 employees versus 100 doesn't make them any less or any less important. So this, the things that I'm talking about are incredibly replicable for a small business. Yeah. And it's certainly, yeah, it's so true. But I guess as a small business, they have to onboard employees anyway. So I'm sure they'll have a company overview, even just your elevator pitch and and things like that. You'll probably have an org chart, probably more up to date than in a big organization about who's who in the zoo. (laughs) Um, So it's one of those things that even just, as you said, creating that safe space, having the communication, it's, it doesn't really matter how big or small you are because it also can, as you said earlier, it comes down to that communication and then that thought and that creating that safe space. Mm. And the other thing that I'll mention is that when you're smaller, you may think, oh, I'm not going to bother putting a structure around this. Um, I'm going to make this person feel safe and seen and heard almost on the fly, if you will. And whilst that is amazing and a great start 
one thing that I've noticed throughout my career is with the lack of structure becomes an unequal experience. So what I mean by that is you may, for one person, send the email, do the cake and send the onesie. And then for the next person, you might do the email and the cake, but forget the onesie. Mm. And now they're like, well, why, why didn't I get a onesie? Am I not good enough? Do they not like me? And it just starts this whole internal monologue yeah. that infiltrates their level of engagement and care for the company. Yeah, and really that psychological contract is so, so strong. And definitely returning back into work, if you have this positive experience, you've got a manager that supports you, open to you and, you know, allowing you to find your feet a little bit because I often say, you transition back to work. It's not you go from one day, yes, you might be home with Bob and you're back to the next day and you're back to not, you know, who you were before. No, you haven't. You've changed. Yeah. And understanding that yourself but also with your employer makes so much more of a difference. That re-onboarding process that I was talking about, that wasn't just one week. That was like a full six months. And yes, you that first week you've you're doing most of it, but we had a three month and a six month check in to just see how things are going. Do you need less time, more time? What are your hours like? And like you say, it doesn't just end the day that you come back or the week that you come back. It's forever. <laughs> yeah. And and knowing that juggle. And even if you've got probably parents as well. So I know we're focused a lot on the mums, but it's also if a dad's just had a baby. They're going to be at times as bleary eyed as what you are. And even I know, even from my, from a personal experience with my husband, we'd both, you know, before kids leave work, maybe six, six 30. Now I was actually only thinking the other day, I'm like, we'd leave work, but now we're having dinner on the table by five 30 quarter to yes. six when we used to be in the office. I know. But again, our, our priorities have changed that we want to be there for our family. So as well, if you're seeing not only the mum but also the dad's priorities and maybe even hours change, having those conversations to be open so you are creating those family-friendly workplaces. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So what other other, you know, elements do you see around workplace policy? So you said about creating those structures Mm -hmm. um, and anyone can do it. So I know we've talked a lot um, and you see a lot of commentary around flexible work and working from home. They seem to just be what everyone should really be doing, but I know not all organizations are. Yes. What other policies and approaches can workplaces take um, to certainly support, I guess, you know, family-friendly workplaces, but also just more broadly, um, you know, an open communication workplace? Mm. I think it comes back to putting some intentional thought behind it. In my experience, unfortunately, HR is something that has a really bad rap and equally it just is not thought about until a company is growing and shit starts to hit the fan, if I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Always from a negative point of view. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we're like the people called in to clean up the mess. Uh, So really taking a proactive approach to understand the value that having a great employee experience across your entire workforce brings and then honing in on this element of your workforce. Um, Like I said earlier, it's about, because it's going to be different for different industries and different 
companies, different sizes. So you really have to look at what matters to you as an employer, talk to your people and what matters to them. And then how can you come to the party together and collaborate and build an experience that is both rewarding and realistic for both of you? Uh, And even that in itself, involving your stakeholders in the conversation is going to get you so far. I love how you talk that it's the employee experience rather than the policy. So I love how really employees are at the heart of what you're saying. And I guess Mm. it's when you're creating those cultures that are employee oriented, we often talk in the, you know, externally, it's about the customer orientation and here Mm. the number one stakeholder in any organization uh, should always be the employee. Absolutely. I'm a bit of an anti-policy person. (laughs) (laughs) I get why you need there's some obviously key ones, um, but I, I don't really love the word. And like I said, you can have a policy in place and no one even look at it because it's not user-friendly uh, or it's not accessible. And so really where I think you're going to get the most bang for buck is to build a policy around the experience oh, so and good. maybe call it something else. Yeah. <laughs> policy just has, yeah, I guess, so many <laughs> connotations and here we go. It, it just brings rules and a lack of freedom to mind. Yeah, <laughs> when what we're trying to do is give freedom and I guess frameworks to for yeah, employees yeah. To, to live around and to work around. So, um, what are some you know probably red flags that you're seeing that organisations are doing um, in relation to I guess empowering working mums and also parents that what can we then do to overcome those? Because we know that, you know, closing the gender pay gap, I think it's out to 160-odd years, which is just so sad. And I know some of that starts with the mental load at home around equality at home, but then also organisations as well have a role to play, um, you know, for example, in the gender pay gap, but also about creating those equalities and also uh cultures as you say to uh you know have a positive employee experience and also then those family-friendly workplaces this is a great question and if I'm going to be honest no red flags come to mind however I think it's centered around the language that people use uh language is huge what you say and how you say it and when you look at your tone when you're communicating a policy, um, really be mindful of it. If you're doing it because you think it's a tick box exercise and you want to get your WGEA <laughs> you know, tick of approval, then that's that's really missing the point. Uh, so I suppose the red flags would be the companies doing it for more optics rather than actual genuine care because the, the intention isn't in the right place. And I do firmly believe people can smell that. Yeah. And so how do you have any tips on if there is employees that are really, you know, they are facing some challenges with with their employer or or their manager. They're not providing those employee-centric experiences is what you've spoken about. They may enjoy their role or they just don't even want to do the job hunt because we all know how challenging (laughs) that can be. What tips do you have to help raise some of these topics up? 
Absolutely. Never forget how powerful your voice is. So coming from the perspective of an HR manager, uh, when people make noise, we listened because you'd be stupid not to. (laughs) (laughs) Does not make commercial sense to ignore your people. And you might not be able to provide a solution that is exactly what they may be calling for but the point is you come together and work on something that works for both because some people want things that just aren't commercially viable but there are plenty of things that are and so I know that depends on who your leadership team is and and your HR team so yes a lot of it is dependent on the culture that already exists but to speak up to your HR team highlight the challenge why it is so challenging perhaps any solutions that you may have to help kickstart the conversation because the other element of this situation is that often Probably like most teams, if I'm going to be honest, HR is fairly under-resourced. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're kickstarting a conversation that is seemingly out of the blue, uh, and if there's nothing that exists there already, it can be quite a big job to set some of this up. So also having realistic expectations on how much can be achieved over what period, but using your voice and staying firm so that you don't just speak up once you speak up multiple times if you need to and I like what you say as well around offering solutions and I know I've even seen it in in the different roles that I have everyone goes oh this and this is wrong but they're not going to be part of the solution so it's I think it's just it's very easy to point out what's wrong Mm. as you say it's more powerful if you have a solution so if you're going to a manager and saying we don't have flexible or you're you know can we work from home Maybe here's some solutions or here's some X, Y, Z examples. Could it sometimes you're even saying a competitor's doing this? And that also also helps. Totally. Um, One of my favorite lines is I'd love to open open up a conversation about. Yeah. (laughs) Launch into it. And it makes it feel less like a stab Mm. and more like uh, an, an invitation. And looking at looking at it as a as a as a positive and not as an a negative and, and you know wanting to improve the organization. So it's also again as what yeah. you said, it's the language that you use. So rather than saying, Oh, this is all crap and things yeah. like that, of course that's not going to go well. Just think about when we have kids, about how exactly. we address them. Exactly. Think about your manager as a child sometimes. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> Helping pump up their tires, giving them some confidence. Exactly, exactly. And Look, when you talk to your manager, your manager can help you sell the idea, but they're not going to be the one who probably has the ultimate decision-making authority for something like this. That is where you would need to take it to your HR team or the person who handles your HR slash employee experience. Mm. And certainly this topic, you know, and and support for working parents and and providing that positive culture and employee experience does have financial um, benefits and it is becoming more and more uh you know out there in the media mm. people want to be an employer of choice attract mm. the the best candidates rather than the most available candidates so from you know an employer perspective you want to do whatever you can to yeah. be to attract those talents 
And this is part of perhaps a challenge that I have is the perception that culture and employee experience does not directly impact the bottom line. And yes, you may not be getting, you know, transactional money from these things, but what's behind your innovative innovative tech stack and your marketing and your creative headlines and your customer service? It's your people. Mm. And so if they're checked out, they don't really care or the care level drops and they're not going to do their best work for you. I mean, there's a reason why Richard Branson has that quote, uh, happy employees equals happy customers or something like that. And it's true. And that makes so much commercial sense to me. And so I think it's about educating people about the commerciality of employee experience. Yeah. And if, you know, if someone leaves, like there's a significant cost and the flow and effect of that is huge. Mm. Um, And and as they say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Oh, absolutely. And it's not just the cost of replacing that one person. It's the time involved in that from your manager, your HR team, all that time in interviews, crafting everything. If you were to calculate your hourly rate, if you're on a salary, you're paying someone at a manager level, let's just call it at least 80 bucks an hour to sit in an interview and to review all the resumes and all that kind of stuff. It just does not make sense. No, it's <laughs> it's crazy. And there's so many opportunities. So if you think, well, why not just su- support parents and, and do yeah. whatever you can, provide parental leave policies and, and even paid leave, yeah. um, think about, you know, offering that. What's three months salary because it's going to take you a lot longer than three months to actually recruit that person and things as well. So I know I don't come at this necessarily from a financial perspective, but as what we're saying, there is the opportunity costs Mm. are significant. They're significant. And that's perhaps one thing that I would encourage people is or employers is looking at, yes, you're going to spend a bit of money, but what is it going to give you in return? And that's where we perhaps don't focus so much of our attention. Mm, no, definitely. Mm. And is there anything else just around, you know, this topic around employers and, and what they can do to support their employees that, that you'd like to add? As a summary, I would suggest opening up a conversation with your people and including it into your strategy because without a plan in place you'll either go nowhere or you won't get very far and it's something that you don't have to do on your own you can involve your people and distribute the work and create the story together that's pretty powerful we had pilots going we had we would ask 10 people come and test this out and give us feedback and then we'd go and fix that and you know you just involve your people in the decision making in the process in the story and that in itself drives engagement Oh, so good. Wouldn't it be great that we sit here in a few years' time and we're talking about how everyone's nailed everyone's, it. Everyone's nailed it, that we've got, you know, great diversity at all levels of management. Organisations yeah. have great family <laughs> policies. <laughs> we'll pull crystal ball it here. There's pay equality. And, oh, my gosh, happens. I know. That's what's so wonderful about the work that we do, though, because part of the reason perhaps why it's 
not happening, I don't know if this is simplifying it, is a lack of education and understanding around the benefits. And so we're here to help with that. Um, of course, it's probably something that's never going to be solved, but we can do as much as we can to help build those ripple effects. Mm. And it's not as hard as what you've explained. It's not as hard as what people think. And it's no. it's maybe like you could even do a workshop, even like a scrum workshop for a half day. You could probably come up with everything you need, you know, by employing, you know, recruiting people within your company to do it. So Absolutely. it doesn't have to be onerous and that the more you involve your employees, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved type thing. Absolutely. Or you can involve and then you're shaping policies and engagement with your organisation. And no doubt you are going to have employees that are in the range of the ages of, say, 25 to 45. They're going to be having kids, and particularly in those trench years of, say, zero to six. The more you can do to support them, if you can attract, retain and hold on to those people, mm-hmm. you are going to probably have a much better organisation financially in the long run. And that's the way, the bottom line, I know they'll be thinking about it. Absolutely. Well, what do you do for self-care to fill your cup? Yeah, that's a really good question. I honestly have struggled with this over the years. I'm very good at putting myself last. And so beyond disappearing into a good film or TV show or book, I have really started to be more intentional around my self-care. When I became a parent, it went in like negative 100 (laughs) so now that my child is nearly turning two I've realized I need to put myself first the classic put on your mask before you put on your child's mask even though in all honesty I'm not sure I would do that (laughs) the pain was going down I'm really not sure I'd put mine on first (laughs) I'm the same I'm the same but I about six months ago I really tried to step up my journaling game and my meditation game I'm a fairly anxious person, so that has really helped a lot with that. And I, as of this year, so what, three weeks ago, I am doing a weekly hair mask and face mask to just make me feel nice. There's no other reason. (laughs) Uh, And I implemented actually early last year a monthly massage. Oh, that is amazing. I realize I'm lucky to be able to do that. Thank you, private health insurance. Yeah. Uh, but that is just so nice to feel super chill as you walk out of that massage. Oh, what a great way to finish it. And I'm just picturing a massage right now. I know. Um, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. Where can people find out and more about you and the third space and connect with you as well? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram at third underscore space. I'm also on LinkedIn at Harata-McMullen. You might need to put that one in the show notes. (laughs) Uh, And my website is thirdspacepeople.com. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and um, all the best um, for the future. And I can't wait for us to come back again and we can talk about how organisations are so advanced around some of these topics. I'm looking forward to it. And look, I have hope. There's some incredible people just like you doing some incredible work out there. So surely it can only go up. (laughs) Yes, yes. The ripple is happening. The ripple is happening. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week. Thank you.